0: Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. My name is Chris O'Fall, I'm the editor of The Toolkit, and my guests today are the co-directors of Netflix documentary American Factory, Julia Reichert and Steve Bognar. And today's podcast is sponsored by Showtime Documentary Films, presenting The Kingmaker from director Lauren Greenfield. Nominated for three Critics' Choice Documentary Awards, shortlisted as a feature by Doc NYC, a sure sign that's it's on its way to Oscar contention, and an official selection at Venice, Telluride, and Toronto Film Festivals, IndieWire has called The Kingmaker, fascinating, remarkable, a warning sign for the entire world. Centered on the indomitable character of Imelda Marcos, the former first lady of the Philippines, The Kingmaker examines with an intimate access the Marcos family's improbable return to power. The film explores the disturbing legacy of the Marcos regime and chronicles Imelda's present-day push to help her son Bongbong win the vice presidency. To this end, Imelda confidently rewrites her family's history of corruption, replacing it with a narrative of a matriarch's extravagant love for her country. In an age when fake news manipulates elections, the Marcos family's comeback story serves as a dark, cautionary tale, The Kingmaker, best documentary feature for your consideration. You know, one of the first things when I saw this film um, that struck me was, was the access, and In retrospect, thinking about the film that you made about the GM closing, Last Truck, where you you captured this GM plant um, that is reopened in this film, one could feel—I know you you gave some of the workers flip phones to go in, but one could feel that you were kept on the perimeter of this property— um, so I feel like we should go back to that film because sure. because that has to be at the heart of this, right? Is, is 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 you found a way to make that film about
1: the closing of this plant without the access that you have for this film, right? Right. I know. We yeah. We did give. We were kept. It's interesting you say kept on the perimeter because literally there were constantly security guards threatening to call the police because they said we weren't allowed to stand on these two feet of property and we had to constantly defend our right to stand there. Mm -hmm. As people were leaving the factory every day or very often, we were there trying to get people to stop at the stoplight or pull over to the side and talk to us about what was going on, like what's going on right now, how was today. And we did that over a number of months because we try as we might, we did not get permission from uh, General Motors to actually go in and film in the plant. There was a brief period on just a couple days before the last day when we got in for like 40 minutes and we grabbed a few shots. Um, but that was pretty much it. We gave the workers flip phones.
2: This is before iPhones existed, nah. just by a few months. Was 08, right? I'm right, I'm right. Uh, fall of 08, yeah. and the iPhone came out in December of 08. But one of the workers, we were talking to one of the workers in a, a bar right next to the factory, and she said, her name's Kate, she said to Julia, you know, I can record like 16 seconds of video on my, on my phone. She had one of those like flip phones. Mm-hmm. And that just sparked a seed in Julia's mind about, oh, what about little cameras? And she discovered the flip device mm-hmm. and the recorder. You know, it's high def and suddenly we bought three of them and then I, I still can picture Julia doing cinematography training <laughs> in the bars with, the, 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 with Popeye and Kate and Kim who are in the movie. Uh, and you know, talking about headroom and lead room and when to pan and how to hold your shot and all all these fundamentals. And then later, once Kim and Popeye and Kate started bringing us footage, we would set up like a laptop in the bar. Download the footage, and then Julia would do critique critique of the
1: footage.
2: <laughs> you know, be, to get better footage, and, mm-hmm. and and they were great. Now Kim was already a photographer; he was mm-hmm. he was good already. But Popeye and Kate, there was a bit of a learning curve, but they did wonderfully,
1: wonderfully. But that's a good tip for budding filmmakers: is if you want to get at the heart of some kind of workplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, look for the bars that are right close by.
0: You know, I wrote this down. I, I, wrote, I don't know. I think this is a quote from, from Stephen, but I think developing an ability to talk to people in a coffee shop or a bar is a huge skill for documentarians. And I, that, yeah. that was, I, that one's in, in the sense that you don't have access to to them in the factory, getting to know them that way. And my other understanding was is that you – to, to kind of get more of that buy-in from, from the people that worked there, you showed them some footage. You cut together some stuff to let them kind of get a sense of where you were going with this, right? You know, That's it's,
1: it's true. really true. And uh, factory workers, certainly at that plant, were accustomed to news crews coming in to a bar and finding the drunkest guy in the bar and then interviewing them and flashing lights on them and sort of throwing questions at them the factory workers at that plant the general motors plant really did not trust the media mm. and they didn't know us at that point so we had to work really hard and you, you might we, we've know.
2: never done this before but we took selects from the interviews we had already done edited, edited them together and brought them to the bar and showed a handful of people including kate and and popeye and kim what we were doing and that's that uh showed how we were lighting people how we were framing people what kind of questions we were asking and that was a turning point that was about halfway Mm -hmm. into the filming but we feel like after that night at the bar uh the word went out that we were okay and that we were not trying to exploit or make it you know do something sensationalistic we were really trying to capture their experience in, in from their point of view. They
1: felt we were respectful and then what they did is they started inviting people. They started to tell people, "Hey, talk to them. Hey, sit down. Mm. Come on, let's go." And that's how we started getting the more, the more in-depth interviews. Yeah. Well,
2: and also a huge key, I mean, learning to talk to people in a bar or in a coffee shop is a skill that a documentarian should have, but that alone doesn't Build trust or build a relationship, and the key is showing up again and again mm-hmm. and again. And you know, we stood outside of that factory week after week for months, and we had we made signs like "Hang in there" and "Stay strong" and "Good luck." And we were just always there, and people would start to stop and talk to us who had passed us, mm-hmm. you know, Many twenty times, times yeah. thirty times. Mm-hmm. But finally, they're like, "Well, you're you're standing out here like idiots. So I may <laughs> as well talk to you." <laughs> I'm kind of curious now. What? Who are you guys? What are you doing? And that, you know, you just, so, it's so important to just be there again bringing and Bring up the
1: subject of interviewing, which for documentarians is like one of the, one of our core is subjects. Uh, I think, you, you know, you always want to try to find out what is that person going through? And what is that person's view on their life, their work, whatever it is. Uh, but what are they going through right now? And then you, then you, hopefully, with mean, the kind of films we make, you're going to see them again and again. And then you can say, well, how is it going? So you begin to develop, like they, they can see you're actually interested in them, not just in the story or the film. You never want to feel like you're asking people to talk for my movie or to talk for history, but really just talk to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious and interested. And we really are, so... Yeah. I, yeah,
0: another thing about this, and I, I've I read some previous interviews uh, with both of you. There's, there's a part of this uh, that I think is what we're talking about, but it's also I'm, I'm fascinated, you know, about career sustainability, and it seems like in both of these cases, the fact that you live in Dayton
1: mm-hmm.
0: it, for two things. One, these things that we're talking about, you keep showing. You're not flying in for five weeks, then coming back five. You, you, you're part of. This community and mm-hmm. and you can do that, but it's also this thing where you have the ability to live there and mm-hmm. uh, not unlike me in Brooklyn, <laughs> you know, right. in a very in a very sustainable way, and have the time to make something like that. It seems like both of those that that is a big component to to being able to make a film That's like this. That's
1: a really right? good observation. That's true. Aren't...
2: Yeah, totally. The fact that we live 25 minutes by car from that factory for both the, for American Factory and for Last Truck was huge because we were you know we filmed for 3 years and for American Factory we started filming in early 2015 we finished at the end of 2017 and i mean we drove to that factory hundreds and hundreds of times and if we were dive bombing in from New York or LA it wouldn't be the same film at all uh, and the fact that we would run into people who work there in the grocery store or at a at the ball game you know we have a minor league baseball team all that really matters to build to being there and understanding what the story is and being trusted to to tell the story
1: and people know we're not going anywhere we live there too and they're gonna they find out where we live and they can come and harass us if they really hate what we're doing yeah yeah we're more accountable and if since we're talking to filmmakers here we have this phrase we always say which is you talk about sustainability of a career or a bunch of films in a row, whatever you call them, what we do, we always say keep your nut low, meaning keep your daily living expenses, your rent, what it costs to get around, your groceries, keep that as low as possible so that, you know, you don't get much lower than Dayton, Ohio in terms of of that, those issues, the cost of living, yeah. And um, because then if something, which has happened to us every film we've ever made, if an opportunity comes or a story seems to be opening or a situation that you want to follow, you have some, you know, you can do. you can do it. You don't have to have a big job to pay for your big rent or whatever. So, and you can save a little money. And also we had side jobs like teaching or working with kids in schools, that kind of thing, which are flexible enough to let you do that, but still give you an income. So, so we are not low.
2: We have a car and we have a camera, and we can start following any pretty much any story within an hour, hour and a half drive of our house, right? If the mm-hmm. people are willing to and let have, us yeah. hang out, we can. We have that flexibility, and that, that flexibility really matters to us. Just to be quick on our feet, like that.
1: we always say, we're citizens with cameras, <laughs> right? That's how we <laughs> respond to things. Yeah. You know, people do various things to respond mm. to situations in their hometown but yeah. we we have cameras i
2: mean we're talking to you the day after mass shooting in our town I, you probably read it in the paper but... i
0: never even connected that i apologize yes i knew yes yeah. I, knew that, and I knew that that happened
2: it's um you know uh, like right at dawn yesterday morning the shooting happened at 1 a.m sunday so it's 6 45 a.m my phone starts pinging 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 mm-hmm. people all from our town are like saying are you okay and what do you know and who who do you you know I mean it's hard to be in New York City on a day like it today really is, because yeah. it is a small town it's a small scrappy little town uh but it, it's tight knit and you just the, the web there is, is 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 intense and um yeah and our hearts go out to everyone there who's dealing with this uh in you know 24 hours later
0: mm-hmm. sorry um i can it, it, it yeah no it's I, it, I, it's I, real we've been yeah.
2: grappling with it for um ever since yesterday yeah, morning yeah yeah it's and, and it's like all our friends and family are safe, but it's like small enough town that, like, you know, our grandkids go to a Montessori school, and one of the moms there was killed by this guy. And it's like it's it's not the degrees of separation are not that many.
0: There's such a I want to the, the the transition um and the, the fact that this this factory is opening up and and there's a couple of, you know. I imagine the factory's opening up and your eyes are are lighting up, but there's this thing where it's like the end of last truck, the welling of emotion and that you captured, um, which I'm not sure, I'm sure you knew you were going to capture something like that, but I mean, that was Mm -hmm. just so emotional. And so Mm -hmm. it just, you, the, the, it was so palpable on screen and it, 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 it of course is a natural thing that you, that the two of you would take on, this story but Mm -hmm. it it almost feels as if i and you were talking about living in this community uh, that i I, i'm curious because of that sense of and and your film captures this beautifully the the new one american factory of like the void that's been left since that factory is there Mm -hmm. and this almost feels like an, an incredible continuation of it i'm wondering how that process of getting involved i mean obviously i can understand where you're coming from wanting to get involved but uh, you did get access this time. And I'm mm-hmm. just wondering if you could talk about that process.
2: That factory sat empty from 2008 till 2014. And then at the end of 2014, beginning of 2015, it, you know, life started coming back into it. There was no more iconic symbol of how hard our town has been hit by loss of all kinds of jobs, all kinds of industries. The Just the gradual decline of, of the the Midwest than that plant. That plant is this, this iconic symbol of that pain, and, and so
1: it's a symbol for America. Let's not forget, it. it was a General Motors plant. It was a General Motors assembly plant that created beautiful hundreds and thousands of beautiful cars.
2: Yeah, and Matt, and and those jobs paid you know thirty bucks an hour. We had a middle class in Dayton that was like a blue collar middle class. It was like folks who never went to college, but they made enough money that they could afford a home they could afford to send their kids to college most of that's gone in uh, in our town and across the midwest the american dream is has become much more unattainable for so many people and when that new, when the new factory showed up the hope that was in the air was it's hard to explain how much how strong that was and we were very interested in in what was going to happen we were actually you know we we didn't immediately say oh we got to try to get in there but some of the folks we know in Dayton who helped get Fuyao the company to come to Dayton they had been talking about well someone should document this what's going to happen here and then our names came up and so we started talking to the company and we said we would do it if with for, with th- three conditions one is that it's an independent film where we don't take any money from the company two we would have editorial final say and three we would have to have real access. And what happened, you know, they they talked about it a little bit, but the the person at that factory at that at Fuya who decides things is the chairman. Mm-hmm. And the chairman said, "Let's do it. You know, let's we're going to we're going to take a chance on these foreigners <laughs> and and we'll see what what they can do." And and that was a great leap of faith on his part and and brave for him and his entire team to let us in, you know, cuz they everyone knew Despite the hope it was also going to be a rocky ride and a wild ride and uh, they 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 went with it. it. seems in the beginning of this film what um,
0: the story of this he's interested in the story of this this is a challenge he's taken something mm. on he's invested a lot in this. I don't know I, I don't know how how if he saw what was coming but it was this sense and maybe I don't know that he was all optimistic, but there is a sense of of wanting to tell this this story right. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think the chairman actually wanted to buy that General Motors factory, which is huge, it's as big as the U.S. Pentagon, for its symbolic value for our community. I think he sincerely wanted to bring new life to that plant that so many thousands over the years had worked in and was such a symbol of our pride. he could have built a green he could have gone to a greenfield and built a new factory mm. it would have been easier I mean there were lots of environmental concerns I mean there were raccoons living in there there were homeless people living in there I'm sure the EPA would have had some things that had to be cleaned up um, but he bought it and I think that was really I mean he's an interesting guy he's a maverick he's not a simple guy I mean yes you could some people could say well he's a ruthless capitalist look how he treats the union. But you could also say he's very philosophical because he realizes that all the factories he's built around the world have also helped to destroy the environment, the environment as a child growing up that he loved.
0: Yeah, and I don't want to spoil it, but that 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 bit towards the last fifteen minutes of your movie, I saw it again this weekend. It takes you back, even mm-hmm. after, even knowing it was coming, after you've watched this whole movie. Yeah, he, listening to him, kind of. Be kind of sad about his yeah. about the world that's lost there's that he lot, loved. His
1: there's a lot of emotion here. I mean, it's good you saw the last truck. The the sense of our town and the workers of our town, especially, being beaten down, being um, that they're being devastated. That the whole sense of their future, what who they were as people, what their future was going to be, for so many of us in that town, was just. It was frightening when the, in 2008 when the plant closed and the economy you know, basically tanked. It was frightening. So when the new factory opened, there was this great sense of optimism and like, yeah, it's a startup, but we're gonna make it work. We'll, we'll sacrifice to make this happen. We'll accept $12 an hour. We'll accept the long hours. We'll accept that, that we don't know how to do this yet. We're building it. Um, that did change over time. There was also a wonderful sense which was so humorous to see of curiosity, of like the Chinese being curious about the Americans and the Americans being curious about the Chinese and sort of trying to build bridges, like inviting people over for mm-hmm. Thanksgiving. That happened quite a bit. Or like finding common ground over fishing, you know, which mm-hmm. men in both communities like to do. Uh, there was a, a wonderful kind of blue collar humor and curiosity. That was wonderful, just great to see.
2: It was, and then, you know, in China, what we were told again and again is, if you open a new factory, it's gonna be profitable in like a year. And the expectations on this plant, this factory, were the same, but it wasn't possible. And that led to a lot of pressure on everybody. The chairman had investors and they were not seeing a profit the chairman was not seeing a profit the the management and so suddenly that goodwill and early fun exciting days gave way to like oh we got to start delivering we got to start making making glass and making mm-hmm. money and another thing that that's not in the film is the chairman had a lot of people saying chairman this why you want to do this hugely ambitious project here in the latter part of your career you've built a, a great company all over the world why do this and it, and, and do it at that scale cuz it's the biggest single glass factory in the world and so he's facing like all these people on his shoulder saying like you know, I told you so. It's not going to work, yeah. and so so the pressure started uh, mounting for everybody. And one of the things we just realized fairly early on is, this is a film where we hope to put you in the points of view of many different people who who don't agree with each other, who don't know each other, don't interact with each other. But we want you to experience mm-hmm. this huge project, this huge ambitious undertaking from the point of view of those folks working in that furnace area or working on that assembly line, but also the management and the Chinese management and the the American management and the the Chinese furnace worker and the American furnace worker. You know, it's like all these different uh, sort of vectors of of quote unquote characters we wanted you to experience their what they're going through is that, I is apologize
0: that, is, that, is that almost the first step is is is, is casting is 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 it, when you start um, you, you have you have access and you start filming but one imagines that you're looking for not only this this variety and this diversity of the characters but also those those vessels that are going to to be welcoming well, into when, the story
1: it's interesting a lot of times you do think about casting i think we were we less felt that with this you know there's a There's a lot of people in the film. There's not a main character. Mm. Uh, And we didn't want there to be a main character. There's like so, so many different voices. But what we did want to build was a sense of trust of all those different things that Steve described, the kind of upstairs, downstairs, and then Chinese, American, that vector as well, to build trust and... That's a little bit difficult when the management knows you're on the floor talking to workers and the workers know you're upstairs talking to HR and talking to the owner and the president. And they're like, well, what side are you on? And one thing, I'll just give you a little example. This might be interesting to filmmakers. You know, the plant is huge. So you Hmm. walk miles and it's concrete floors and you get very tired. You're carrying a heavy tripod. You're carrying a pretty big camera and your backpack with all your stuff in it. So every now and then, you know, somebody, one of the management people would zoom by on a golf cart and say, hey, you want a ride? So we'd say, oh gosh, thanks. You know, and you'd, we'd zoom past everybody working. But after a while we realized that made people think we were part of management, that we were friends with management, they helped us out. So we realized that that was, we should not do that. So we stopped, pretty quickly stopped taking those golf cart rides.
2: And and you know it's ninety degrees, hundred degrees in the p- factory, and you're wearing protective clothing, and it it's it was it, you know it was like we walked miles every day, you know mm. three mi- like something like three miles a day, doing this sort of circuit of of checking in with everybody all over the. All over the plant.
1: And so. carrying the gear too. Yeah, I carrying never drank gear. more Gatorade
2: on <laughs> <that> any project <laughs> than this film. Yeah. Is,
0: is that is that is that actually how you approach the day? It's like let's let's check in on Anna, let's yeah. check in on this and oh, like, yeah. make a little map and kinda yeah. like
1: yeah, 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 yeah. And as as we brought in new camera people, we started just ourselves mm. at first because we well, had with Eric no Stoll money. Too. Eric started fairly fairly on, early on, Eric Stoll, who mm. is the co director of the film America which you might have seen as a wonderful film. I haven't seen that one yet. That, was, that played all in the festival circuit last year. Um, we would, yeah, we would have a little breakdown in the morning, like okay, we, we would follow sort of certain characters a little bit more than others. Like I followed certain people, yeah. Eric followed certain people, Steve followed a lot of people actually. And we would stop in on the furnace guys or I'd stop in on the women doing certain kinds of inspection that I would always see. That's what Steve said about showing up is really important. That you, even if you just walk by and say hi, or if you stop and see how they're doing, and you know, maybe you film for 10 minutes or so, you don't necessarily talk with them, like because they're working, you can't Mm -hmm. do a whole interview. Um, But people see you again and again, and that really helps to build trust. Uh, The management, whenever we entered the plant, we always talked to the guards. So, of course, you make friends of the guards. You get to know them and their kids and what's going on. And they joke with you and they talk with you. And then you walk through the white collar area, which is two floors. And you give little high fives and highs to people. And you, you know you're going inter- to be interviewing them. And you have to do that in a very respectful way.
2: But that's how you learn what's going on. Because someone will say, oh, well, so and so's going to quit. Or so-and-so, you know, got in trouble. And, did you hear and, what
1: just happened yesterday? Yeah, and so yeah. you
2: just got to keep your ears and eyes open. You know? But
1: it's like showing up again and again, showing up.
2: It's 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 wonderfully shot, and
0: and one of the things that um, I really appreciated about it is, I mean, this is a film about labor, it's about marriage, and 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 a, a, and a real sense of the connection of the person to what they're doing, and their, it, and sometimes it's their home, but sometimes their space, and mm-hmm. I. I you're bo- you've both been working in nonfiction film for so long i I'm wondering if we could if you could just talk a little bit about i mean some of this I'm sure is second nature to you at this point, but mm-hmm. um a, a real sense of 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 a, of a very specific frame and how we're going to see these people, even sometimes if it means in the edit room we're going to take the audio from over here and, oh yeah to play it over: that's a
1: great that's a great question. I think we'll both probably have a mm-hmm. take a crack at that. You could take a crack at the sound and I'll take a crack at the visual, mm-hmm. okay which is not, usually we do the opposite. Um, yeah, when you walk into that plant, the first number of days we walked in, we were so taken by how beautiful it was. That there's lighting, you know, you're inspecting glass, right? You have to see any little nick, any little smudge or whatever. So all the, most of the workers are like bathed in this almost like movie light, just beautiful. And there, of course, are reflections, reflections on reflections. Their hands, their people passing things to one another, um, and they repeat it over and over and over again. So it's actually, you could literally spend an hour in just one place with two workers working, and just to try to get the perfect reflection, the perfect moment when they looked at each other, the perfect gesture.
2: The industrial ballet. The industrial
1: ballet, we often called it that. And yeah, and that offers you. If you have a lot of that kind of material, it offers you a chance to go into the person's head as they're working with the voiceover, which you should want to talk about that. Well,
2: we realized early on, I mean, we both worked as younger people. We had job jobs where it was kind of, you know mundane. We didn't work in factories, but we had these sort of grinding jobs that you just have to push through. And we realized like if you're working on a factory line, and you're doing the same thing literally 8 hours 9 hours a day mm-hmm. your mind your your inner life your interior monologue your ruminations on whatever are alive and fertile and we wanted to try to see and evoke that experience of like thinking about your life thinking about am i should i be here am i doing the right thing and is this hard for me and what and and whatever questions you're grappling with as a person, while you're lifting and moving and bending and hurting your back, you still are grappling with those things. And we wanted to evoke that cinematically by combining these intimate voiceover interviews with the visuals of people doing the job.
1: And we did, a you don't, there there are no formal sit down interviews in the whole film, even Mm. though we shot dozens and dozens of them. But that also gives you beautiful, clean audio usually sitting in someone's home, on their couch, or sitting around the kitchen table, or sitting in their office environment. Um, we really wanted, so you have that for voiceover, which is always a great thing. And uh, the Zoom that you have, you have a fancy Zoom, but we just use a regular old Zoom, which is not very expensive. I think they're under 300 bucks, yeah, right? Yeah, like 250. We yeah. use the
2: Zoom H4N for most of those interviews, and, but, but we're asking people in a quiet room to speak kind of quietly and we're sitting inches away. The microphone is right, right up close, and we try to create this space that feels like an inner thought,
1: you know, yeah.
2: hushed, intimate, quiet. And and you know, most people can do that. Not everyone, but most people can do that. And then you can really have that kind of kind Stop, of reflection.
1: We, we really believe in that. We didn't always shoot the interviews at all. Like that, I was about
2: to ask that. No, yeah. we
1: didn't. Like that interview with the chairman where he talks about uh, his mixed feelings and his youth we were sitting on a couch with him next to our chinese uh co-producer Mijia Li, and we had a microphone up about three four inches from his face no camera and we could just go on as long as we wanted and you could look in the person's eyes up close Uh, i think that matters i i'm such a believer whenever i do interviews uh, my knees are almost touching the other person's knees and I'm looking right at them. I don't believe in being like across the room. Yeah. It makes the person, it's more intimate. It's just more intimate and it's more of a conversation, which I think a good interview really is a conversation. And one other thing I wanna say, we wanted the film to give you the kind of dignity of work. Mm-hmm. The dignity of work, we wanted to communicate that. It's, it's, those are hard jobs, it was hot jobs, They're, the lifting is heavy. But there's dignity about it. And what they're producing is something that's going to protect us all in our vehicles.
2: And, you know, our, our main camera people, uh, Julia, myself, but also Eric Stoll, uh, Aubrey Keith, and Jeff Reichert, we all talked about how we're filming people. Oh, yeah. And we always wanted to give, regardless of who they were, we wanted to give everyone their dignity and their their space. So that meant, you know, well-composed frames, maybe shallow depth of field for a more cinematic look we use telephoto lenses on tripods uh when we could although a lot of the film is handheld verite which means it's more wide angle and the camera's closer but even then we we we're, we're we were striving to just make sure that you know someone might be doing something that we personally don't like or don't agree with but we still wanted to film them in a way that was respectful
1: And we're big believers in the rule of thirds, (laughs) in using the rule of thirds. And we also always talk about light the short side. Let the light fall on the short side of the person's face. And whenever,
0: whenever I uh, used to work, I, I used to do some of the similar things, some of the teaching artists' work and, and doing programs. It was always make them pull up the grid. You yeah. know, you know uh, the, yeah. the grid. And, yeah, yeah. And, and, oh, we've
2: drawn that grid a million yeah, times yeah. on napkins <laughs> in bars. We, 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 I mean, when Julia was teaching uh, Popeye <laughs> and Kim and Kate. I, I mean, I want to say that this film was a huge collaboration. Mm. You know, Julia and I are the directors, but, you know, we had. Uh, uh, amazing camera people, Beyond even beyond the, the five of us mm-hmm. who are the main DPs, we had additional DPs. We had these two brilliant Chinese filmmakers mm-hmm. who joined our team as producers, Chen Zhang and Mijia Li, who built the connections and the trust with, with Wong with the chairman with other people who are from China in ways that we could never do mm-hmm. We, I mean Jeff Reichert's also a producer on the film and Julie Parker Bonello a producer mm-hmm. and then we had a brilliant editor in Lindsay Utes. Well, I, I want to talk yeah, yeah we're about to,
0: we're talking about, I, we could do let, let's jump in just for the, the to the to the Chinese producers and stuff because there is this element here we, we just talked about being part of the community and 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 and, and, and there's an element here where as you're, I mean, I've seen a lot of your work. There is a, there's a, this, this, this view of labor, this belief of labor of being in, mm-hmm. and, and, and looking at the issues of facing labor is something that is ingrained in so much of, of, of what you do. Um, there is this issue of how are the Chinese going to look? How is management going to look? How do, how do we not other them? Mm-hmm. You know, even in parts where it's, they're trying to stomp out a, you know, pretty kind of, nasty ways trying to stomp out um, a labor organization. I, I, I imagine that that is a challenge and I, I imagine these two producers played a large role in that of mm-hmm. of making sure that you had those type of connections that you are able to show them on the same human level and mm-hmm. also and also make sure that the story didn't, didn't become purely from. A...
1: Yeah that's being culturally sensitive was very much on our minds and one thing we realized is we don't know much about this culture. It wasn't just a matter of listening to people and trying to make them look good, but we didn't really know much about China, Chinese culture, Chinese food, Chinese customs, even in a factory. So that's where Mijia and Yi were, and other folks we brought in, were, we would just sit down in the evenings and just talk about their upbringing, about what China was like some of the myths that we had about china that we we just we just had huge amount of discussions with them to kind of understand where the chinese workers were coming from and where the chinese management was coming from what the educational system they went through what is work life and the expectations of it like over there they they
2: gave us books to read you know yeah it, it was super crucial that this sort of community of younger chinese filmmakers were part of this film you know
1: yeah, it was very, very much on our minds, and we did we did our best. I don't know. I mean, we we made sure as we were editing, to have a number of Chinese people, younger Chinese people, see the film in rough cut and say, you know, like Well okay. and,
2: then, and then the great editor Jean Jean Sien is one of our consultants on this film,
1: and she's from Taiwan. She's Chinese. But for instance, when you hear. Um, Gosh, there's so many examples. When you hear the chairman talk about, you know, we're all born of Chinese mothers and we're with the homeland is China. And no matter where we die or, and be buried, we're all Chinese. And as Chinese, you have to work harder here in this plant, okay, for us to succeed. We're like, is, is he just odd that he does that? Or is that, con-? and they would be, oh, no, 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 that's that's exactly how. We would have never put things that are sort of culturally really different from american culture in the film if it hadn't been sort of viewed and okayed and said yes this is how it is um, by yeah. chinese people who were born and raised in china spent almost all of their life in china those dancing you i don't want to give too much away but that whole scene where there's a lot of people dancing and mm-hmm. doing shows absolutely very common
0: your, so. edit, your editor, um, Lindsay Utz, am I saying that? Utes.
1: Utes. <laughs> Lindsay Utes. I just up everything. Brilliant woman. Um,
0: I, this is, um, I watched it again this weekend, and it, 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 the same thing that uh, came back to me um, when I was watching it at Sundance is this is as perfectly told an unfolding mm. of a story. These things are very hard with the multiple characters things. Yeah, it you is, know, I always kind of yeah. <laughs> like it and it's, but it's always like, there's always a, what are we can do in the second act turn? And this thing is, and I one, one imagines that we also just have American labor, we have globalization coming together in this this way that this mm-hmm. story, and even just the, the, the allegory of glass and when it's not working, it breaks. It shatters, it's, 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 it's yeah. Like right. Perfectly cinematic. Mm-hmm. But there's something about the way that the beats to this story and I, I'm wondering, I mean obviously there's some remarkable work here but I read somewhere that there was, a, there was about an eight hour assembly that you kind of watched over and over and over again and it seems as if in seeing that you started to see maybe a little bit more of the two hours stru- well, is not even two hours it's like 140 right but it's like whatever that yeah. whatever that structure is going to be I'm wondering if we could because t- part of it is I guess maybe it unfolded in this wonderful mm-hmm. story way but I mean
2: th- it, it, that in and of itself doesn't talk about how, how perfectly this thing is structured well thank you for that and you know we met Lindsay at the True Falls Film mm-hmm. Festival where we saw Quest uh, a movie she edited a brilliant movie she edited and and we immediately were like who is this person because we were looking for an editor is that the one about the philadelphia the, right yo i love that film wasn't that i love, great? That, I love that festival too yeah yeah, yeah. yeah same and, and, here yeah. same here and then yeah. we we closed the deal with her like we finally shook hands and said we're going to do this at uh, like a month later at the full frame festival because mm-hmm. she was there with mm-hmm. quest again and you know then she like a few months later she started she spent like eight months going through raw footage and... Uh, how much of a... Well, much? we had over 1,200 hours of footage. Oh, we can say that safely. Lindsay thinks it's more closer to 2,000 hours. It was by far, <laughs> by far the most footage we had ever shot for anything and probably ever will because, you, you know, we had five cameras going. We had multiple other DPs. We, when we filmed a, a big group meeting, we had like three or four cameras going. So it was always super ambitious. We were just running and gunning to chase this story for three years. But Lindsay a masterful storyteller as she is, you know, she started weaving this stuff and pulling stuff and we had long debates and arguments and, and often Jeff Reichert was there, uh, our producer, camera person, beloved nephew, you know, he was in the mix too.
1: Very much so, And yeah. <laughs>
2: we, we would debate like, well, you know, is this story thread doing the same thing as that story thread? Is this scene kind of in a sense a repeat of that scene? And why, we can't have both, you know, it's got to be efficient and lean and it, we always say, Julia and I have had this motto, have had this motto for, de- for decades, which is you trust the process. You cannot hurry a documentary process. The document mm-hmm. and the film will tell you what it wants to be. The film will say, I'm a feature. The film will say, no, I'm actually a short. I know you want to make a feature, but <laughs> I'm a short. It's so important that filmmakers listen to that. Or I'm a series. It could be like you know a multi-part series and we worked the material lindsay worked the material we had an incredibly intense collaboration she moved to ohio and as did jeff and it was it was a great but but finally you know through this whittling and winnowing and r- repeated viewings and test screenings in our little town we do test screenings, which is great. It's great to live in the Midwest because you can do test screenings and people can give you super critical feedback, but then they don't run into industry people at the bar or at the party and they don't gossip about your movie. So we can get really tough love from our neighbors and yeah. friends. And we just kept doing that until the film emerged.
1: I wanted to say one more thing about, or a couple more things about the editing process and there may maybe filmmakers out there. Lindsay, one a very brilliant thing about her is that she knew how to delegate. She knew how, she had numbers of assistants who fed her material. So once everybody was on board with the kind of footage we're looking for, and she had thoroughly gone through with us and the other cinematographers, like, okay, which of the scenes you remember as being really important? Um, she, She saw, people fed her the best scenes that they had previewed. Another thing she said right at the beginning, which we really, really were glad and agreed with, is that, okay, you did shoot bazillions of hours of sit-down interviews. Let's try not to use them, except for his voiceover. Let's try to see if we can make this film work on verite scenes, things unfolding right in front of the camera. And we were like, okay, let's try that. And in, in fact, that's pretty much what happened. We, we did have an eight hour rough cut. We didn't watch it again and again. We watched it a couple times, the three of us together, and Jeff came in at the end also to watch it. Um, but I would say that we knew, even before getting started, we pretty much knew we had three acts and we knew what those were. So that is like sort of the honeymoon, mm. you know, the plant gets started, the hope and the tag, the yeah, hope yeah. and all that. Then there's like the shit hits the fan, things go south. And then there's the union battle comes in Mm -hmm. and you know by the time we were finished shooting we knew what the outcome was uh and that would be provide kind of the third act uh where to place the sort of longer backstory that you refer to the backstory of where the what the plant had been and the plant closing, we didn't, that moved all over the place.
2: Well, there's all kinds of things we did did not include in the film because it didn't seem pertinent or urgent. So like the 2016 election, for example, happened all during the filming and Ohio was a swing state and Trump came to town and other people came to town. Mm -hmm. It didn't, by the time we were editing in 2018, it just felt like yesterday's newspapers and we didn't want to include it. Uh, the larger history of, of China, you know, emerging from decades of of poverty to become this sort of industrial juggernaut. Like, you know, you, you get little whiffs of that, and that's enough, but you don't need to go into, like, have a big scene of it. Or Dayton's glory days as a, as a manufacturer. Oh, yeah. Hut. You know, we had a beautiful archival scene of our town that we love. I mean, Julia and I love this footage, but it, it didn't belong in the film.
0: One thing that is... a I mean, there's a lot of I, part of this is is, is a wonderful edit, but part of this is that um, you don't have to do these things of stepping outside. Because so much of that sense of what's going on with American labor, so much of that sense of how American labor has been affected by globalization, and mm. then the, and, and then and watching these two these two cultures and these two where right. it. it, it it all is embodied in the individuals and what is going on in these turns, mm-hmm. and it, it becomes. And that's what's so wonderful about the storytelling here is you don't have to pull out and let me know, which also, of course, puts you in a position of how are we going to frame this, and, it, right. it, and it's impossible to not, in one way or another, you know, put your fingerprints and and, and, and skew things that way, and it just becomes this this element where, you know. I I am guessing through your lens, you saw the pressure and the things starting to not conflict. Maybe before the people up on the second floor did, oh, because yeah. you're seeing that's... you're you're seeing the you're you're seeing the mm-hmm. conflict that's
2: going on inside the workers. Right. We have this sort of Star Trek philosophy of don't impact the course of events with your filmmaking. Right. It's a, so we we knew things we heard things from the management that would be juicy gossip on the on the factory floor. We heard things from the workers on the floor that the management would love to hear, but we really had to start to be very cautious about not sharing what we heard, and we were hearing things from all directions, because we didn't want to change or uh, impact the communication issues uh, that were going on, and, and 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 thus the course of events. Mm-hmm. But um, learning to just uh, be present everywhere, not judge, you know, withholding judgment—that that was a crucial thing. And then in the the constructing of the the cut, Lindsay would often say, uh, you know, a little brush stroke is enough. Mm -hmm. And we were, you know, we're being a little crusty here. We're old farts now. Uh, But we we were like, are you sure that's enough, Lindsay? Is is the audience going to get it? Don't we need to, like, talk more about this or get a little more exposition on that? (laughs) And she would come back and say, no, no, no. Look, we get it. We get it. Uh, Just, like, these three lines or that little moment of this will convey volumes in a more wordless, cinematic, poetic way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she was usually right. Uh, you know, we're, we're doing this interview with you, Chris, like a few days after the death of D.A. Pennebaker, who was always a great inspiration for us in, in the immersion of observational cinema and what that gives you and how it gives you so much more than you think it might. Mm-hmm. Because we're smart, we're observant viewers, we take it all in and we're making connections and t- building story within our minds that the filmmakers do not have to spoon feed us with narration or whatever.
0: Well, it's that element of filmmaking, right? Where it, it's the same thing with the narrative scripted stuff. It, the most expressive stuff is always watching humans act, ra- react, and, and move in, in in context of these stories, and they're going to tell us more. And if you've got this footage and you're seeing these things unfold that way, it's always going to be it's always playing to the medium better. You know, mm-hmm. it, there's always the 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 5000 word new yorker article that could be written which which I'll read but you right. know that's not you know that that access and seeing those people like that and and th- let me set that up with this other part what was access like and what was filming like when we start getting labor tensions because right from the start that's clearly Mm-hmm. the Red Bull for, for, for management. The Sherrod Brown scene is hysterical, right. you know, and, and, but, I, but I, I have to imagine that's suddenly where they're feeling like.
1: People on both sides, so, let's say there's two sides to that. You know, there's your pro-union or you don't want it, the damn union to get in no matter what. That was tricky because we wanted to talk sincerely and deeply and understand kind of both sides of that. Why would you want a union? Why would you absolutely not want a union? And also, what did that look like? Mm. Uh, Management thought we were pro-union because we were talking to workers, even some pro-union workers. Union workers and workers in general thought we must be spies and we're going to rat on them. Golf cart riders. Uh, There you go, (laughs) golf cart riders. Um, So, you know, we had to be really clear with everybody that we were – were neutral, that we just wanted to see what was going to happen. This was really, really important process that was going on here. Um, So I say that's how we handled it, was just being interested in everybody, interested in what people were going through. But I will say this is something that more emerged as we cut the film. Uh, This is where I feel like we worked to kind of bring something out that might have been a little bit more invisible to a lot of filmmakers, which is the, the impact of the union avoidance company in that plant. Nobody has ever really captured that on film. Mm. Uh, it was very difficult to capture. It was difficult to figure how to edit it in and make it balanced, but make it impactful for the audience, hard hitting. Those kind of companies operate in almost all American plants and American workplaces companies that are brought in specifically to inoculate the workers against voting for a union. Even creating fear and confusion. Well, the
0: language was right up there that they're towing the line with the language which is you can't be fired but you can be permanently replaced. Right, was just, right, right. was just about as Orwellian and just as about like yeah. right up there, right, like you know that some lawyer has vetted that line. Like.
1: Oh, the, all those lines are vetted but they also did things that stepped over the line. Like you're not there were clearly to us especially as we edited the film and like the story of Jill, you Mm -hmm. know, one of the characters in the film, one of the people, uh, she didn't start out to be a pro-union person. She saw things happening to her friends and made her want to do something about it. She got fired. Um, There were lots of people who were pro-union who either wore the shirt or talked to you at lunch, which Mm -hmm. you're allowed to do. Uh, Do you want to sign a card? Do you want to come to a meeting? Who got fired? The activists got fired one after the other. That is illegal. They didn't get fired for that. They found another way to fire them. That's something that really started making us really angry and upset. It started making me feel that way. That is not that is not a fair election. If you intimidate people by firing people who are want the union to come in what are the workers around them going to think gee i better not stick my neck out because i could get fired i don't want to lose my job especially so,
0: in a, especially in a town where the setting is were there are it, no other jobs or it, hardly any been other defined good jobs by the closing of the factory yeah seven exactly years
1: ago. so that was something that was something we wanted to kind of tease out and i i think in the editing we had to work a little harder to get that out because it was very difficult the anti union folks definitely did not want us, they said we were not allowed to film anything mm-hmm. with them, which we did Your anyway. Your got squeezed a little. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean,
2: but to the company's credit and the chairman's credit, they never kicked us out. You know, there, no. were, there were, I mean, we filmed in a lot of meetings, uh, but we, there, there were certain meetings they'd said, not, not this one, guys. Um, but we also then in the editing had to realize, like, you've gotta have anti-union voices and pro-union mm-hmm. voices right. in the mix. If it's going to be reflective of what was truly happening in the factory, so you also have these workers who like are opposed to the union, you know, and the company. You of course you get the company's perspective that they don't want a union, but we're trying to you know build this big structure where you have all these opposing voices, but you hear everyone, and it's not like anyone's demonized, you know.
1: But the union people, I know, I went to a, a few meetings just as an observer, and then I was. Asked not to come because some of the workers again thought yeah. you were a we spy. must be a spy for management. Yeah. That was a little sad, but in in the long run, I think we got decent relationships with people on both sides.
0: Yeah, was there a natural end to this? Was there a natural? I mean, it, 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 as a viewer, it it I, I, let me be clear. As a viewer, this film has an end, mm-hmm. um, and that that, is, that, is, that that was very satisfactory to me. But I'm I'm curious to you in filming. Um, and 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 when you start moving into that, it was was that sense of of where this story was well, going to stop for to you. Well, we don't want to reveal the
1: ending, right? We don't want to reveal what happened. But I would say the real ending is not the out the outcome of the conflict. Mm-hmm. The real ending of the film is when most of the characters in the film kind of get to say their life philosophy. You know, it's whether somebody believes in the American dream or somebody thinks the American dream is over. I mean,
2: if you're talking about the filmmaking process or the film, it depends. So oh, oh, I think Julia's speaking about the film. About yeah. the film. The, like in the edit, but in the filmmaking, by the third year, as the union battle really rose and got more intense, we were already exhausted. That's mm-hmm. true. And then we had to pour it on and cover more intensely than ever. And after that vote in November of twenty seventeen, we kind of collapsed for a few days and then said, okay, it's time to start wrapping it up. So by the end, we filmed in Dece- into December of 2017 and we actually did a little bit of filming in 2018, but, but mostly we were done. We kind of felt the narrative arc had... had yeah, that's had, true. We definitely felt in, like we... The,
1: yeah, the, nar- like the, nar- the union battle kind of took over the narrative in a lot of ways, yeah. which we didn't predict, of course, going in. And then it was over.
0: Well, the music. Um, oh, let's talk about uh, the music. It's... What, it, 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 um, if someone just played me the tracks after I saw the film, I would think that, that these are some unorthodox choices. Um, but yeah. it, in context of the film, it really works. It, it, it works in the sense of um, you can get a rhythm when things are working and it's kind of up, but it also it, it also lends a little bit to some of the the more comedic kind of humor of, fr- yeah, the humor bit, of yeah. it. And yet somehow that same music could be worked it works through throughout. I'm curious about that process because, once again, it's an it's an unusual score that works really well.
1: Well, thank you. I'm, it, it is an unusual score, and uh, our wonderful young composer Chad Cannon just did a fantastic job. He was just so good to work with. We started from something I had. Just I mean, I want to say first of all, they're all real instruments. Those are all live players. They're tell. not done on a computer. Um, I happen to I go to the symphony concerts in Cincinnati sometimes, and I happen to hear a piece um, called "Grand Partita. It's Mozart. It's an old piece. So we're listening, and it's all woodwinds, a little brass, and um, a upright bass. right? It's all these big, deep instruments. There were no violins, there were no flutes. You know what I mean? It was all these big instruments. And, as I listened to this short piece, it's only seventeen minutes, it just hit me that this is the kind of sound we need mm. that will kind of stand up to the power of all these machines in this huge space. I also thought, wouldn't it be great to see a documentary that had no violins, no guitars, no flutes, you know nothing like that, and also didn't feel like uh Philip Glass <laughs> <laughs> so
2: and Chad took that principle and ran with it and just. We we are so thrilled that he you know he just kept delivering piece after piece and we're like holy cow mm-hmm. this works great mm-hmm. you know and he was under pressure because this was in the fall of 2018 we were like racing to finish the movie by then and uh, you know we were just it's really thrilling it's a thrilling in how unorthodox it is but how well it works
1: yeah and he was great to work with in that if we give him gave him critique he would just go right back at it he would always say. <laughs> I see what you mean, right? In a very right. slow voice. Yes, you're right. Mm-hmm. And he would come back like hours later, it's with fast, something even better.
2: Yeah, but uh, wonderfully, wonderful spirit.
1: He's a great. He was a great. I would say hire him, guys. Chad uh, Cannon. <laughs>
0: one thing I love about films like this is, is when when um, when when people in the industry and people around uh, lend their names to it and help put mm-hmm. it out because it's an issue, uh, or it's, it's not an issue, but something. This is this is in the zeitgeist. This is something we're all talking about right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Most people, though, don't get the Obamas. <laughs> I'm wondering about because I think I think Netflix bought this at Sundance it was, it was I mean we, I had been hearing about this film before Sundance oh. it was it was it was there was, was a lot of anticipation about it the fact that Netflix jumped in and got it but then and I know that the Obamas had signed something you know have a production deal with, with, with them but I'm wondering about when they came on board and what that means because it's very fascinating this movie is is everything that seems like everything that we're talking about right now and then to have them almost be ambassadors To this ambassador going into, I don't know, I'm sure they're producers too, I don't know, but it's it's a really fascinating thing to me. Um, I'm not surprised that Michelle and Barack like this film. (laughs) That doesn't surprise me at all, but I'm I'm very curious about that process and and what that's going to mean for the film.
2: Well, we are so, we're really honored and thrilled that the Higher Ground Productions is going to present this as their first release. It's Mm -hmm. very meaningful and will help amplify the film's reach throughout the world. And Higher Ground believes in the power of storytelling and in telling stories with, with nuance where you hear multiple points of view. You know, we live I mean, this like we're so siloed these days. Everything's polarized. You cannot have a conversation with people about some hot topic issue without it getting super polarized. We all jump to the barricades really quickly these days. And... You know, we try to make a film here that's nuanced and complex and has room and respect for multiple points of view, and that's one of the goals of Higher Ground. Whether they're doing a doc or a feature, or whatever. And so they, they, I mean, they came on board with Netflix, you know, right after Sundance, and
0: so they were part of the conversation. They were in the mix, let's say, mix. Okay.
2: and and um, yeah, and their their you know their support will just really make the film much more present in the world. Mm-hmm embodies, I feel like so
0: much about them, which is, is mm-hmm. that this is it, it, these, these just things need to be discussed. It's not simple black and white. and clearly they, they do have a, a, a point of view and, 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 and certain things, but there's there's an element here that just feels maybe it's just what maybe it's just we're all exhausted in August of 2019, but it feels like I would love to have this discussion with the Obamas right now about this totally. film compared to what mm-hmm. you know the discussion around these issues has been for the last
1: few years. They are really focused on stories of everyday people. Yeah. I mean, they themselves come out of humble backgrounds, both of them. Mm-hmm. And so they have a true affinity and understanding of the struggles of everyday people's lives. And that's what's been our whole, like for me, 50 years and for Steve, a number of decades yeah. of, of making films. And we learned, by the way, to um, call them the president and the first lady i apologize Yeah, too no, we him. were we were schooled on that and it, it actually makes sense oh, of course it does, yeah. of course do it does. Do that. We, we love to but call the story, by the but the story you know lady, if but, you think
2: yeah. about the movies that come out it's harder now than it was say in the 70s uh, to find stories of working people you know yeah. no, 70s that. had the you know those great that great era of nuanced complex cinema and you had movies like Norma ray or mm. or clute or coming blue, home blue, or collar. blue collar i mean so many you know rich films but that were not about super powered super high powered people
1: yeah
0: this is a wonderful film i feel like we're going to be talking about this one for a while um and i thank you both for being so generous with your time thank you chris
1: thank you this was fun